This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hi, and welcome or welcome back to Self Work. I cannot believe this is the 130th episode. I'm so thrilled you're here with me today. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas. I've been in practice there for about 26 years. I've been podcasting two and a half years because I wanted to extend the walls of my practice. I grew quite tired of the misconceptions about therapy, and I wanted to reach out to those of you who might already be in therapy or be quite comfortable talking about psychological issues, to those of you who might recently have been diagnosed with anxiety or depression or are having a relationship problem that seems to be a bit forbidding, and to those who might never darken the door of a psychologist's office but are just curious enough or are struggling enough to open yourself to listening to a podcast. So, welcome. Today we're going to be talking about failure. No one particularly likes to fail, but it's inevitable. And too many people shame themselves for failure and then either quit something that's hard or define themselves as a failure or even tragically go to immense lengths to hide that failure from the world. I'll talk a little bit about the failures in my own life, We'll talk about the difference between humility and defining yourself by failure. And then we'll slip in a metaphor about kite flying. And what in the world could kite flying have to do with change and failure? A lot I found. The listener email was quite interesting the last couple of weeks as I got lots of email from people who were answering my question about whether I should welcome more guests on self-work. I'll give you the lowdown on what the overwhelming majority have had to say. And then the specific listener email today is from a teenager who seems caught up in a battle between her parents and is really struggling because her mom is depressed. So let's sit back and relax, and we'll talk about learning from failure. Growth takes risk, and risk leads both to learning, but also to failing. Why is this important to understand? Because you will fail. If you shame yourself for that failure, you'll either quit, you'll define yourself by it, or you'll be frantic to hide that failure. But if you expect it, if you accept its presence, then failure becomes a predictable part of risking growth. Stop for a moment and think about how you've actually learned what you've learned. I bet it involves failure. All the baskets not made or the throws not caught. All the relationships lost. Opportunities wasted. Stupid arguments that meant nothing. Failure teaches, perhaps not lessons that you want to learn, but lessons that you need to learn. The one thing that can prevent it from teaching is shame. If you pummel yourself with perfectionism, if you hide or avoid the inevitable failures you've made out of self-contempt or criticism, then you can become emotionally paralyzed and live out that shame every day. 
some of the most dramatic and tragic cases I've treated are because people's lives got out of control and they hit it. They masterfully exacted wall after wall around their vulnerability until the game became too unbearable and they took their own lives. Their families were left not knowing how to feel or what to think and sometimes really never could figure out what that vulnerability was because it was so well hidden. Gambling addictions, sexual addictions hidden and there were some clues but again, it was the shame that made someone die by suicide. And failure does not have to bring shame. I had a great relationship with my dad, and he used to tease me very lovingly when he would call and ask how my practice was going early on. Knock on wood, it's doing pretty well, Dad, I'd say. Well, you know, you screwed up your own life so much there for a while, there must not be too many things you wouldn't understand. And we'd chuckle together. It was funny because, one, it was true, and two, I'd worked through the shame I felt about the chaos I'd created back in my 20s, at least to a decent extent. I was, as they call it, a late bloomer in the maturity realm, and it took a decade of roaming around trying to find emotional stability before I found where I was going, who I was going there with, and how not to hurt others and myself along the way. I'll always have regrets about those years, but my failures taught me a lot. So, what's the difference between humility and defining yourself by failure? How do you know if shame has taken over and you're beginning to think of yourself as someone who's failed, as someone whose mistakes define them? Let's talk about humility for a second. Humility is recognizing your strengths, but also your vulnerabilities, while valuing others' strengths as well. It's kind of like seeing yourself and others on a spectrum, recognizing what skills you have and what skills others have, and being quite fine with that. It's knowing that because others might do something better than you or be something you'd like to achieve or have succeeded at something that so far you haven't been able to achieve, it doesn't make you less than. That's humility. However, if you're uber-focused on your weaknesses or what you've perceived as your failure, then that leads to self-doubt. And it'll come out in how you talk about yourself. You'll say things like, I'm not sure about this, but, or, it's probably in a big deal, or, it's only an idea, but... I probably shouldn't say anything. Do any of those phrases sound like something you would say? Or the way you would start out giving an opinion or an idea? Self-doubt clings to each of those statements. You can hear the shame and the shoulds and the maybes and the onlys. Humility is a wonderful thing. It's a virtue to have it. And in this day and age of selfies and self-promotion, it may be a virtue that is fast disappearing. But defining yourself by failure isn't humility. Now, as a therapist, I try to help others risk the changes they both need and desire. Your goal might be to manage your anxiety better, to stop being so angry, or to learn a different way of working with your kids. Life may have handed you trauma or loss, and one day you can put one foot in front of the other 
and the next you can't. But let me point something out. I've watched a lot of people try to change. I've never seen anyone change in some kind of perfectly angled, positive ascent, like a well-engineered rocket blasting into space, your immense power expertly harnessed, and your only trajectory upward. No, quite the opposite. When you attempt to change, even if it's change that you want, when you risk, you travel a much more jagged course, with the occasional yes moment when everything's going well, and then immediately falling down and thinking or doing something that's unwelcome or harmful. The journey looks much more like you're learning to fly a kite. It sputters, dodges, and weaves, being whipped up and down by mischievous winds before you can attain a taut line and a firm position. Basically, it's the old three steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, two steps back, four steps forward, two steps back, whatever. That's the nature of change. Because you have to learn how to keep that kite in the air and soaring. But guess what? Something's going to happen that you can't control. The wind dies down. And so your learning starts all over again. Failure gives you that opportunity to start all over again. So I got kind of curious about tips that people might have for flying a kite and how could we apply that to life and even change and failure itself. So I found four steps to learn how to fly a kite. First, choose the right kite. In fact, expert kite flyers will tell you that elaborate 3D kites look cool, but beginners should opt for a triangle-shaped delta kite. They're easy to assemble. You attach the line and place the pole across the back, and they're more stable once in the air. So what's the life equivalent here to choosing the right kite? You have to choose a behavior that's possible to change, that you actually have control over. Know that you're learning a new skill and that you might fail, both for things you can control and for things you can't. So you give yourself credit for doing simple things first, for choosing the right kite. Don't choose a behavior to change that's overly complicated or complex. We talked about this a bit in episode 119 when we were talking about vulnerability and allowing vulnerability for even simple things can be frightening. So choose what's easiest first. Then go on to more complicated behaviors. For example, if you're working on social anxiety, start by saying hello to someone in the grocery store line. Don't throw yourself into going to some huge party that someone's giving because you shouldn't be so anxious. Start small and then build up. The second tip is you assess the wind. Too much wind is damaging. I've had people try to make substantial changes in their lives when other things were going on that were challenging them already. I've often said it's like trying to put on contacts during a tornado. It's not going to work. You will inevitably fail. If you do, then the only blame you have to absorb is the fact that you discounted the forces of the winds around you. But it's important to try to make change in the stablest environment that you can. This isn't always possible. 
But you can try to put out as many fires in your life as you can before you begin a change that's going to be hard. The third tip is to look for a wide open space. Now, what's the life equivalent of this? Too often you can try to expect success in an instant. You need space and time to create lasting change. You need space and time to be able to fail, pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and get going again. Remember, change is not a steep, positive ascent. It's not a rocket. It's a kite. If you feel that a change must happen right now, then you'll get in your own way. Try to think of it as a process, not a destination. And again, I'll stress one more time, part of that process is failing. Whatever change you want to make, if it takes a month, a year, or whatever, even the smallest of changes can begin to make a difference. Let me give you an example. Often when I'm working with a couple, their relationship is in big trouble, and they're very demoralized. They want immediate change and fast, so I have to slow them down, remind them that they need time and space, and that the smallest of tweaks in their behavior will be able to make a difference. The last kite-flying tip is to launch it right. Let's say what you want to try, knowing that failure could happen, would be approaching a friend whose friendship you haven't nourished. You miss them, but aren't real sure how to approach. You're not quite sure what's happened between the two of you. Check first to see if your mind and heart are in a good place. Think about how you'll handle it if they don't respond, but you still want to try. It's important to you. This step is about accepting the ambiguity of what you cannot control, but still deciding to risk, deciding to act. Make sure your agenda is about you, not trying to change them. Start out in the best possible way you can think of. Use your support system to help talk you through the changes you want to make, the risks you want to take. And when you're ready, risk. But if you're urgent, you'll more than likely create chaos. So calm yourself and begin making changes and choices where you'll continue to learn and grow and you can accept failure if it comes. You'll grieve for that failure and be done with it. Move on to the next challenge. I'm not one for remembering quotes very well and I think I've mentioned this quote in another podcast but Nelson Mandela said, Do not admire me for my accomplishments. Admire me for the many times I fell down and got back up. We can all learn from Mr. Mandela. The real failure is not getting back up. Our listener email today is from a teenager. And I wanted to feature this email because sometimes I get a little concerned when teenagers write in. I want to make sure they're talking to an adult in their local world because it's so important that they have a support system. But I'm certainly willing to answer their emails. Teenagers have a lot on their plates. She writes, I need help. My mother is not abusive, but she is constantly putting herself down. I have to be honest, she's an amazing mother. And she always has my best interest at heart. But it's hard to watch her put herself down, and I want to help, but I don't know how. She says that she wants to spend time with me, but ends up taking me to work with her. 
I've tried telling her that taking me to work is not spending time with me. But she only responds with, your father is the one who told me to get a job. And she keeps calling me her responsibility. I am 14 years old and want to help. But how? So I write her back. It's obvious that her mom's really not what I call emotionally divorced, in that she's still sort of blaming the dad for choices she's making in the present. So there's anger there and bitterness. I said, hello, I'm so glad you've written to me, and I can tell how much you care about your mom. It sounds as if you're caught up in some kind of conflict between your parents, and that's tough. You obviously want to help your mom, but adults have to learn how to help themselves. It's not your job to somehow make her happier. The major thing you can do is talk with her. Tell her you wrote me. That's how much you care. Maybe talk with her about what kind of person you see her to be and what she's teaching you about being a good person. But also share with her how unhappy it makes you feel that she's unhappy or puts herself down. If she's not open to that, then you can look for another adult to talk with, maybe a family member or a friend's mom who you like, someone who knows your mom. Perhaps they will have some ideas for you. Please know this isn't yours to heal, even though you care. I did hear from this young woman, and she did show the email to her mom, and she said it led to a really, really good conversation. Sometimes we're simply not aware of the impact we're having on our very impressionable kids. There are probably a lot of you, I know I can, think about many times that I regret something I said or did because I know it affected my child. It's just about being a parent, which may be the hardest task in the world. I want to thank you for listening today. I said in the intro I was going to comment on the emails that I've gotten about my question of whether or not to put guests on the podcast. And again, I have been so touched by your answers. By the way, my email is askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. Please feel free to email me even more. But almost all of you have said that you really love the relationship that you feel like you have with me personally, because you listen and you think and you feel as I talk about different things. So we're going to keep the format the same. There was a great idea, however. In fact, there were a couple. One woman wrote in and said, why don't you make it possible for us to call a number or an app and leave a voicemail so that some of the voices of your listeners and some of their stories could be heard on the air? I'm looking into that or having my audio engineer, my wonderful John Crowley audio engineer, I'm having him look into that possibility because I'd love to hear more of your stories. I love the listener emails. And of course, they'd be anonymous. So again, email me, askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. There are lots of other ways of getting in touch with me. My website is drmargaretrutherford.com and you can subscribe there. And what you'll receive is a weekly newsletter featuring both this weekly podcast as well as a weekly blog post. So it's a really easy way to keep in touch with me. I promise no more messages other than the weekly newsletter. Please leave ratings and reviews. I've gotten several within the last two or three weeks, 
that means so much to me. And again, they give me the specific information of why you listen, what you're listening for, what kinds of problems you're dealing with. And make sure you let me know what you would like to hear podcasts on. Unless I know absolutely nothing about it, I sure will give it a shot. So I hope you'll do that. I have a Facebook page where I post, I don't post all my blog posts or podcasts, but I post some of them. I also post articles that I find interesting or podcasts that I find interesting there. And that's facebook.com slash Dr. Margaret Rutherford. So come on over there. I'd love to have you. I'm doing something fun on Instagram and it's really caught on. And I did a poll and I'm going to continue it. It's a series called What I've Learned as a Therapist. And by the time this is listenable, I will have gotten to number 95 or 6, and I promised 100. But I'm going to continue, perhaps not every day, but I've learned a lot as a therapist, and I love sharing it. So come on over to Instagram.com slash, once again, Dr. Margaret Rutherford. And last but not least, I've started a closed Facebook group. And in fact, I had a meeting today with someone, and we're going to start doing some webinars that I will open to that group, probably on perfectly hidden depression at first, but who knows? Maybe we'll do other topics. So that group is facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. Facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. Come on over and join in. Love to have you. Thank you again for listening. Please know that failure is nothing to be shameful for. And in fact, failure leads to learning. Take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work.